0: So, uh, are you ready for me to play the voicemail?
1: Yeah. Oh my God.
2: Hey, how you doing? This is a paper airplane guy. What? So, uh, yeah, pretty much we were just finishing up work, <laughs> and uh, we were bored driving home, stuck in traffic as usual in the city, and we just decided to make paper airplanes, uh, number on them, and then whoever wind up calling us, we would just mess with them, you know. So that's the whole backstory of it. Oh
3: my God. <laughs>
0: I (laughs) oh my god that's the whole backstory of it (laughs) i've listened to that voicemail like at least 10 times
1: oh my god i can't believe he called us i literally i cannot believe this i'm really interested in this character because he's like our he's our only friend
0: yeah mr airplay guy call back and like give us some more details stories fun times this is the meat of the podcast. Oh <laughs> have you ever Have you ever caught your Have you ever caught your profile reflection in the mirror? Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
4: <laughs> yeah.
3: Oh yeah.
5: Like a yeah. yeah. This is going to be disaster. Yeah. Yeah. Yo, yo, this shit feels like I won't ever make it.
0: home
2: off of this
0: you're listening to she's in Russia I'm Smell. and I'm Lily <laughs>
2: I wish you
3: wouldn't like
1: you do this like <sighs> I'm Lily I snort <laughs> yes why i don't Do know i take it is it like me inhaling am i going
0: like yeah it's you inhaling but in like a way where your throat gets in the <laughs> way of the air if you would like to be as famous as the paper airplane guy please call into our voice message box you don't have to talk to anybody you can ask us any questions and we'll play it on the show and try to answer it the number is 347-292-7126 So, oh, yeah. So this episode,
1: we are doing a little a new experiment format. We were going to do a variety show of people, recordings of various people from various backgrounds talking about Russia. Surprise, surprise, shock.
0: So, so yeah, Lily and I each brought several clips and we'll just like play them and we'll talk about them a little bit, but mostly it's just a way of like highlighting different interesting things.
1: Yeah. And we don't actually know what the other person brought. So we're hoping we're going to get like a smattering of like different, iso surprise, as a smattering of different like, you know, contexts, like not only political, but we'll see. I thought we would flip flop back
0: and forth. So it's not like, here's all my stuff. Here's all your stuff. Okay. Sounds good. All right, so this is the first thing I'm going to play, and I'll and then I'll just introduce it a little bit. In the 80s, the CIA made a series of videos for Ronald Reagan, just for Ronald Reagan to consume, um, and a lot of them were about the Soviet Union, and it, some of them would be like, Mr. President, this is your itinerary for your trip to the Soviet Union. It would be like, first you're going to go here and have dinner with these people while Mrs. Reagan attends the art gallery. And this one is about how Soviet propaganda portrays American politics and the capitalist system. This is the longest one. I think it's about nine minutes.
1: What? We're going to listen to the whole thing? Yeah. All right. Sit back and get your popcorn out.
3: In recent years, the Soviet media has said much about the American way of life, and its portrait of America is a dark one. It is designed to convince the Soviet people that our social system is anything but desirable. It emphasizes violence, drug abuse, unemployment, and overall exploitation of the American people by the government. Since the average Soviet citizen has no alternative source of information about the United States, the Soviet version is probably accepted at face value. The Soviet people, however, seemed to be curious about America and impressed by its material success. Last summer, Pravda published a lengthy article entitled Incurable Disease, which dealt with U.S. unemployment and bank failures. About the same time, Moscow was saying that there are 40 million Americans who are literally starving, while a select group of capitalists continues to get richer. Moscow Television celebrated the 4th of July last year by assuring viewers that America is the quintessence of an unjust capitalist system that keeps millions of families living below the official poverty line. The unemployed are described as having been deprived of the right to work, while Moscow Television shows film of locked factory gates and people being evicted from their homes. The message in all this is that the capitalist system in America is unfair and is, in fact, a failure at providing for basic human needs or maintaining continued national growth. This broadly distorted statement is aimed at convincing the Soviet people that Soviet communism works much better by providing economic security for them. The U.S. economy, as described by the Soviet media, is being driven by raging militarism. Defense spending is reported to be the cause of unemployment in civilian industries, and also the cause of the huge federal deficit. The Soviet Defense Ministry newspaper, Red Star, says that American young people are receiving militarist brainwashing from films like Rambo. Also included as malicious and distorted are telephones a film about a KGB assassin on the job in the US, and Red Dawn, which depicts an invasion of Colorado by Cuban and Soviet troops. That same paper also said that President Reagan has personally participated in this brainwashing by calling on American youngsters to model themselves after John Wayne. The degree to which personalized attacks are leveled on the American president and other high American officials will vary according to immediate political circumstances in Soviet-American relations. Such attacks are a part of a more general assault by the Soviet media, which blames the U.S. for the arms race, and says that Washington follows a policy of state terrorism and international banditry. And Pravda says that the U.S. arms policy is a mixture of falsity, hypocrisy, and cynicism. On racial and social problems, the United States is depicted as a country plagued by discrimination where the situation is getting worse rather than better. According to Moscow television, so-called civil rights are a fiction. Racism and racial discrimination continue to be the shame of present-day America with white racists stepping up their activity. There is said to be no equality of opportunity with neither blacks nor Hispanics getting a fair chance in American society. Moscow pictures racial problems as permeating American life. Minor events that get little attention from U.S. media are presented in the Soviet Union as typical. For example, in Chicago, a Hispanic union organizer named Rudy Lozano was murdered in 1983. And two years later, the only mention of him in U.S. media is a brief story on an inside page of the Chicago Tribune. And that story was about a march held in his memory. But Pravda recently devoted a three-part series to reviewing the case as an alleged example of big business trying to keep the workers subjugated. Another kind of Soviet manipulation is the Russian edition of American author Studs Terkel's book, Working. The unexpurgated U.S. version reports both successes and failures in nearly 600 pages. The Russian translation is about a third as long and emphasizes the failures and disappointments of working Americans. The Soviet media portrays the U.S. political system as an oligarchy ruled by big capitalists who control the impoverished masses. Moscow Radio said recently that the American public has been lulled by the demagoguery of politicos whose services have been bought by capital. According to Moscow Radio, American society is repressive. It says U.S. authorities are putting themselves in opposition to the majority of their own people. And Moscow Television said that thousands of political prisoners are languishing in U.S. prisons today as a result of tyranny and repression of the authorities. Moscow has seized on the case of Leonard Pelletier, an American Indian activist, convicted in 1977 of murdering two FBI agents. While Pelletier's case is almost forgotten here, his legal appeals getting only brief mention in the New York Times, Pravda published seven stories about him this past September. Other Soviet newspapers also ran prominent coverage. The Soviets seem to be trying to use this case to counter Western publicity about their own political prisoners. According to another Moscow radio report, Americans who oppose U.S. military policy are described as peace fighters who are repressed on a monstrous scale by the American secret police. Occasional reports on American communists describe them as speaking for widespread attitudes but that they are suppressed for challenging the system. When it was suggested to a Moscow TV anchorman that Soviet media distorts news about America, he replied,
6: I think that we are not distorting
3: news. No, I, I, I would disagree with you because we, we are showing not only unemployed, we showed
6: millionaires, we showed uh, their private life, we showed uh, high society, we showed uh, uh,
3: Miss America. Recently, Moscow Television presented a dramatization of an American novel, the R document by Irving Wallace. The story's theme deals with the suspension of the American Bill of Rights and is set sometime in the future. Moscow Television sought to use this theme to make its point about the future of America. A TASS commentator said that the sense of hopelessness and fear of the future are dramatically pushing up suicide, crime, drug addiction, alcoholism, and divorce statistics. In the final scenes of the famous story, The Picture of Dorian Gray, the portrait takes on an ugly, even hideous appearance, and the Soviet media seems bent on portraying to the Soviet people a similar vision of America.
0: A similar vision. I like how he uses the fact that certain events are no longer being talked about in American media as like a signal that they're not important anymore. For instance, this murder that we completely forgot about and don't care about anymore, they care about in the Soviet Union.
1: Wait, what What do you mean? Yeah. And?
0: Well, he's like the implication there is like, oh, well, because American media has stopped talking about it, therefore to talk about it is, like, propagandistic rather than, like, maybe actually paying attention to something that is important. Not to say that this isn't, like, Soviet propaganda to, like, zero in on specific instances of, like, you know, labor unionizers being murdered or whatever, but though it does have, like, a very um, objective tone, the setup of this is, like, the base correctness is, is American media portrayal. Right. No, no, no. Of course, it's ridiculous. Wait, what
1: year is that from?
0: Mm, sometime, Sometime in the 80s. I would assume the early 80s. I would say that that
1: tactic is still being used now by mainstream Russian media of, like, picking out, singling out, like, kind of random stories that portray chaos and violence, et cetera, from the U.S. And, like, focusing on them in a way that doesn't really make, like, not necessarily, like, writing about them more but just like even reporting on them when like why are you reporting on them when it's like a
0: but sometimes it might make sense too right and like this he he talks he talks about like less specific instances also this narrator he also talks about like how Soviet media was like portraying America as an oligarchy in which extremely rich capitalists suppress the working class and many people are living below the poverty line and like that's not wrong right
1: right right I'm like, yeah, this is right. You're right. The premise the premise of this narrator's the premise of the, of the video is like,
0: but we're doing everything right over here. Yeah. What the heck? And like, like, this is how they portray it. Like, how laughable is it that they think that there are political prisoners languishing in prisons? It's like, yeah, there are still. Yeah. <laughs> they say they're languishing. I know. Yeah. That, that, that's,
1: uh, yeah. But that kind of voice is also just like funny to listen to.
0: It's just so it's so funny to me. Like when I came across this like trove on YouTube of all these videos that the CIA made for Reagan, and some of them like address him directly, like "Mr. President, you'll fly in at three forty eight p.m." Um, and it's just so absurd to me because we never talked about this, but there's that documentary that I recommend everybody go and watch called "The Reagan Show" that talks about Reagan's relationship to media and how he was the first president to really harness the media in a specifically like performant way, and. It's just funny to me, like, oh, yeah, he was a movie star. He liked performing, but he also his favorite way of consuming information was via movies. And he had the CIA make <laughs> movies for him. That's such a good gem. I didn't know about that at all.
1: Okay, so now we're going to listen to the one that's called Vasilieva.
0: Do you want to introduce it?
1: Yeah, sure. This is a a small, it took me forever to choose this excerpt because it's a small excerpt from a long lecture, probably like an hour-long lecture, on the formation of a, of the post-Soviet identity. The lecture is given by Professor Anna Vasilieva, who is a professor of Russian studies at the Middlebury Institute of International Studies at Monterey. I kind of just dropped us right in the middle of it. She's been talking about, like, figures of the post-Soviet person and stuff. Let's just listen to it. See.
2: And uh, let me just, again, uh, you know, the feature of the spectators, Russian people as a spectator. So, again, uh, the last 20 years throughout the polls, better to live quietly, to just observe rather than to participate. Uh, started with 89, as I said, the first People's Deputies <clears throat> Congress. And, uh, you know, this sense of participation collapsed after mid-90s. And uh, you know what, what, what's one thing that's very interesting. You know, the, some polls show, and Livada did that, uh, and it corresponds with my conclusion here. With this part is, you know, why do people why do people feel passive? Because there is no sense of direction. You know, they don't see the goal. Where are they really going? You know, outside of their family circle and their own personal well-being, there is no sense of where the country is moving. Another parallel feature, and that's what Livada's polls show, is that during really breaking points of the 90s, you know, the most traumatic years, you know, say 96 and 98, there was a peak of interest to old Soviet movies you know, to the movies of the 50s and 60s, you know, to that classical black and white cinematography. And it's very interesting, I think, you know, because it shows that people really are trying to find something in those old movies, you know, those, uh, you know, I guess, sensations, uh, um, notions uh, which are lost in their uh, regular lives. And... uh, uh, you know, It's also very interesting. I did for several years very extensive research in Japan and Mongolia. I studied Russians. You know, the book that uh, uh, Will mentioned is a result of the uh, project that my colleague uh, Professor Akaha and I uh, had for several years, and the impetus for this project was precisely trying to understand uh, you know who are Russians more than Russians in the context of the other, and so the Japanese seem to be that perfect other. You know, it just seems to be a very different civilizational platform. And I thought that, you know, if uh, we go to Japan and interview extensively, and I think we did interview every Russian who lives in Japan, you know, very in-depth interviews. And uh, the, then we did the same in Mongolia. You know, some fascinating things, uh, you know, come on the surface. What happens is, particularly Russians in Mongolia, Russians who never lived in the Soviet Union, they were complaining about exactly the same things that Russians who lived in Russia. I mean, they, you know, it was a fascinating stories to hear, you know, about people who, again, they visited the Soviet uh, Russia, Moscow. They visited their relatives in mid '70s, and they said oh, it was very difficult for us because, you know, there's big buildings and, you know, people are coming from provincial Mongolia, okay, but brought up in Russian culture, in Russian context. But then they said, well, once we were entering families and friends, you know, we felt comfortable, we felt wonderful, you know, it was our environment. So it was, you know, complete, you know, they could see the transfer of values, the transfer of the dynamics of communication, so they felt comfortable. Yet the same people said when they tried to go back in the 90s, mid-90s, they could not stand it. They absolutely said it was a different, uh, such a different uh, atmosphere that they said we would never go back because it was a different country.
0: Country. That's interesting. This is fun. Yeah, but that, <laughs> that, that's it. Uh, yeah, that's Smith. I love our idea. <laughs> yeah, this is so yeah,
1: really. nice. <laughs> so, I mean, that I actually like wanted to take many clips from that lecture. It's a really good lecture. Just to note the date from that that's October fourth two thousand ten, so it's before that what we're we point to as like the start of serious negative attention on Russia and like this new new cold war wave, which was like with the annexation of Crimea in two thousand and fourteen um I just it's i don't know i i mean i watched I've watched a lot of like professors' lecture on YouTube, but it's just always like interesting to like see. Just people have been studying and talking about Russia in this sort of like small niche way for, you know, for forever. And now it's just like becoming more popular. But like that video, like has so much good information. It has just a lot of interesting stuff in it. But of course, it's like, I don't know. I'm just saying like it has 319 views and it's from 2010 and has two likes and one dislike. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, okay, th- th- this is not anything new. I'm just making a comment on, like, sort of something that's just happened, a realization I've had in my own life. Of, like, I started studying Russian before it was cool. <laughs> like,
0: yeah, but, but also, like, w- I mean, I always press this point that, like, this sort of content exists for everything and we're not consuming it. So it's it's not specific to Russia. Like there are just as interesting lectures about China, about India, about no, 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 Germany. No,
1: totally. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying it's only a Russian thing. I'm just saying like that we're seeing this phenomenon right now like of Russia of a being a mainstream interest. term.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah, interest being specifically in this like relationship that this like antagonistic relationship and using Russia. What did we call it? I just called it like a marker word, but you had a word for Toxic. Toxic word. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Like the toxicity of Russian related stuff is like, is from the past few years, but I just, I don't know. It's just like a nice. You you just
0: want to point out that like people are doing research on Russia that doesn't have anything to do with the toxicity of Russia and is like really just about Russia itself.
1: Yeah, yeah. About About, yeah. In, in the realm of, like, history, sociology, anthropology, literature.
3: Hey there, people, I'm Bobby Brown. They say I'm the cutest boy in town. My car
4: is fast, my teeth are shiny. I tell all the girls they can kiss my hiney.
3: Here I am at a famous school. I'm dressing sharp and I'm acting cool. I got a cheerleader here who wants to help with my paper. Well, let her do all the work, and maybe later I'll ring her. Oh God, I am the American dream. I do not think I'm too extreme, and I'm a handsome son of a bitch. I'm gonna get a good job and be real rich.
0: Okay, let's let's play the next thing, huh? What do you want to play? So this
1: is from the. This is a clip from the third presidential debate from October 19th, 2016. Yeah. It's, like, kind of traumatic to listen to, but I feel like it's important because it already feels dated. Or, like, not even dated. Just, like, I can't believe that that was... that that happened, kind of. You know, there's, like, a trauma there. And also... It's not like the rhetoric is that different from the rhetoric now, but it's interesting to hear Hillary. Well, you'll hear the rhetoric and compare it to now because this is from, again, like fall 2016. So um, a year ago.
3: from everything I see, has no respect for this person.
6: Well, that's because he'd rather have a puppet as president of the United States. No puppet, no puppet. It's pretty clear. It's pretty clear you won't admit no, that the, the Russians puppet. have engaged in cyber attacks against the United States of America that you encouraged espionage against our people that you are willing to spout the Putin line, sign up for his wish list, break up NATO, do whatever he wants to do and that you continue to get help from him because he has a very clear favorite in this race. So I think that this is such an unprecedented uh, situation. We've never had a foreign government trying to interfere in our election. We have 17, 17 intelligence agencies, civilian and military, who have all concluded that these espionage attacks, these cyber attacks, come from the highest levels of the Kremlin, and they are designed to influence our election. I find that deeply disturbing, and Clinton. I think it's She has no idea whether it's Russia, it, China, or anybody else. I am else. not quoting myself. No idea. I am quoting Hillary, 17 intelligence. You have no idea. 17 intelligence. Do you doubt? 17 our, our country has no civilian idea. And agencies. Well, yeah, I he'd doubt rather it. I believe doubt it. Vladimir Putin than the military and civilian intelligence professionals who are sworn to protect us. I find that just absolutely. Sec- she right. doesn't like
3: Putin because Putin Mr. has outstanding outsmarted her at every Mr. step Trump, of the way. I, I, Excuse I, I, me. M- Putin has Mr. outsmarted Trump, I, her in Trump, Syria. I'm He's outsmarted her every step do get to of the way. I, I do get to ask some questions. Yes,
2: And I right. would like to ask you this direct question. The top national security officials of this country do believe that Russia has been behind these hacks. Even if you don't know for sure whether they are, do you condemn any interference by Russia
3: in the American election by Russia or anybody else you condemn their interference of course, I condemn of course i can i don't know Putin.
7: I I'm have not, no not idea I never met
3: condemn. Putin. This is not my best friend, but if the United States got along with Russia it wouldn't be so bad
0: every part of it is bad it 's just like all bad isn 't that so intense though like, it's sad, to to like it's sad to listen to because like Trump is now president it 's sad to listen to because hillary's just like. Really going on the gung-ho anti-Russian train. I mean, the the thing that it reminds me of that maybe we've referenced before is like a lot of the times what we've been focusing on is like, oh, and this is like Masha Gessen's thing is like, oh, the Russia gate or whatever is a good excuse to explain why the Democrats had like this massive election failure. And it t- sort of takes the blame off the real reasons for it. Th- the thing that we keep forgetting is that like the Democrats were already ramping up the anti-Russian rhetoric before the actual election like they were trying to use that as a way of winning the election and it failed then and then they're also trying to use it as an excuse for the failure of the election
1: yeah like it was it was you it was it was being used to delegitimize trump already yeah exactly what she what she's saying there is like you're a puppet oh my god that puppet isn't it insane that that's real life you're the puppet you're the puppet these are two adults who are ostensibly these are two adults who are competing with each other to run the united states of america like, <laughs> like you're the puppet no you are it's like what are you doing it's upsetting i always think i think when, i remember when i watched the debates like well, i would always cringe when hillary like use the, the sort of like a- acridity what is it called
3: acridity
1: yeah that's what i'm saying but i think it's not used to spe- to talk about speech in any case the bitingness with which she you, which she pronounces the word the words russia the russians putin it's it's very like on an emotional level yeah it makes me uncomfortable because it's so deeply rooted, like I feel how deep this like hatred is. I'm not saying that she actually thinks that it could just be like the political rhetoric she's using, but there's just no room in the tone of her voice for nuance, (laughs) you know, there's just no space for it. It's just like, I hate, this and what's happening and all i want to do is portray it, that it's bad and negative
0: oh, that's really sad it's it's really it's that really sucks.
1: Poli- but like here's the thing we're talking about a debate right so it's not it's not even it's like if if politics is always like theatrical and performative you know when when it's being displayed then the debates are like the epitome of that right like the most
0: performative thing ever and like yeah okay that explains obviously like we all understand like this is a performance and you have to get your point across in like the most simplistic way and like especially when you're up against somebody like trump who's just gonna like out simpleton you at every turn like you have to sort of be more simple and like get your point across in this emotional way versus an intellectual way but there's still that responsibility there Next one, we're going kind of a little bit back in time. Hillary related. And this was 2009. The year Bitcoin was created. Wait, really? Yeah, Bitcoin
1: first came out, was first created in 2009.
0: What a little babe. There was a period before the Crimea annexation and a series of other events that deteriorated Russian-American relations in the past decade. Um, and Fortunate and right events. Befo- unfortunate events and right prior to that there was like a concerted effort to like really improve the relationship by Obama and the Obama administration and one of the things that happened as a signal of that was that Hillary gave as Secretary of State gave Lavrov this reset button that's like one of those like kind of it's just like a red button that you press and it said reset on it but in Russian and well, I'll just play the clip. Wait, wait, wait.
1: So it's you didn't introduce who Lavrov was, the Russian Foreign Minister, and the point is that like it's a metaphor, right? Reset is like we're gonna. That was the whole name of that campaign. We're gonna reset our relationships, a relationship with Russia, like a fresh start. Yeah, and people and, and politicians could like we'll will, like reference that like now because it was like something that they did under the Obama administri- in administration. <laughs>
6: I wanted to uh, present you, which represents what President Obama and Vice President Biden and I have been saying, and that is, we want to reset our relationship, and so we will do it together. Thank you very much. You are very welcome. We worked hard to get the right Russian word. Do you think we got it? You get this wrong. I got it wrong.
7: (laughs) It should be перезагрузка, ah. and this says uh, Peregruska which means overcharge.
6: <laughs> <laughs> well, we won't let you do that to us.
3: I'm, I promise. <laughs> okay, thank you very much. Thank, thank you, sir. We've done my best.
1: Oh my god! Every time. Oh my god! I know. I
0: know. And That's... we're not trying to hate on Hill Hill here. It's just you know.
1: Well, she just happens to be like a important figure in US Russian relations. That clip ah oh, yeah,
0: I know. Makes I know. me
1: very cynical about politics. I know.
0: It could just be a dumb mistake and we should just not harp on it. No, but no, no, no. Okay. I, I do agree it's
1: like symbolic. Of I something. yeah, so I, when I first like learned about this that this happened, I yeah, I was like raging a lot about the fact that like seriously the entire u.s government couldn't find anyone to speak russian well enough to just put the right word there like really that that just seems mind-blowing to me yeah that pisses me off she's the secretary of state she has a russian translator yeah so that's just like straight disrespectful but then like i i find this clip to be so indicative of a particular american approach to foreignness that like other foreigners don't seem to have and like i don't know it's embodied in a few ways like for one thing for one we always take for granted our english privilege right we just speak english and everyone else has to speak english that's number one right and like we think people sound stupid when they have accents etc um but you hear like in this interaction she's like we wanted to present you with this gift and it's this whole childish thing right where it's like we're gonna what's happening is she's giving him a giant red button like those what is that like stop button or whatever yeah i feel
0: like staples makes a button.
1: yeah it's just like one of those
0: red buttons that like sometimes you'll hit it and it'll say something but in this case it doesn't in this
1: case it's not it doesn't look exactly like that it's like a little yellow block with a red button on it but it like reminds me of the staples button but in any case you know it's like very childish and stuff and like okay that's just like this fun little stupid like political game that's symbolic but then like within this little interaction that they're 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 playing a little game together and within this reaction interaction i just hear how Lavrov has all the control like oh she she even mentions like i hope we got it right right i hope we got the word right and he goes like you got it wrong she repeats his words well we got it wrong in his accent that's a very yeah. american thing yeah. to, like repeat yeah. a foreign accent like as though it's like a he has a tiny accent. He's like, "No, you got it wrong," and she's like, "We got it wrong." It's like, "Oh my God, Hillary, I mean, hear this." No, no, no. What? But her, her, her repetition of him. It's not. It's not exaggerated. It's subtle. It's subtle, but it's like that's even worse because it's like the subconscious, like, like it's
0: right. It's thing. an intuitive American response. I would do that. I mean, we do that all the time when we talk in accents. Yes, but we aren't the Secretary of State. <laughs> <laughs> aren't.
1: <laughs> yeah. So anyways, we should be. So that's, so that's one like particular, I don't know, like indicative American thing. And then like, remember, this whole ceremony is an American initiative, right? The reset button. It's an initiative. To do this little symbolic campaign to show that we're resetting relationships and it's like a positive thing. And we want friendship, yeah. right? Yeah. Then he goes. He goes. It's the wrong word. It means overcharge. It actually means overcharge in the sense of like too much. Like f- you know, when you have, if you like overcharge a battery or something, like you know, you're worn out in the sense that it's like
0: like overstimulated,
1: kind of. Yeah, like pretty negative in that sense. Overload, overstrain, like over whatever work. But it seems like when he says "overcharge," I what I get from the little like you know candid interaction that happens between them when they're laughing is that Hillary seems to think he's talking about money because she says, "We won't let you do that. She said, "We won't let you do that to us." So it's like, okay, even if she's not talking about money, even if she understands that it means like overwork or something, she takes this moment and like switches it into some kind of like threatening like it's a little bit threatening. We won't let you do that to us like. Why is that what you say?
0: Okay. A, it could just be like stupid middle-aged humor, right? That's like just what popped into her head. B, I don't think it's unreasonable for her to think that overcharge does mean pay. Like, that's what I would think also. You know, there's no way of knowing that it means like overcharge a battery, really. That's like not a super common concept and then the third thing is like you know you watch this and you say like oh it's like obvious to me that Lavrov has has the power in this particular interaction and like she might be sensing that and she's using kind of this uncomfortable joke to get back the upper hand in some way also you don't know what their relationship was like maybe they had a really good relationship and like they have to do this like little media circus and it's like whatever but in reality like their relationship is fine it's not worth like reading into it too much. I think it's good to use it as like a symbolic thing, but I don't think we should necessarily analyze the details of that interaction to deduce what their relationship at the time was like. I wouldn't say it's
1: representative of their relationship, of course. It's only like one minute interaction. I just mean that it's, there are elements of it that are indicative of a particular American way of relating to foreigners. And then also, yeah, there is like this middle aged, like honky, what is that called? Not honky-dolly. Oh
0: my God hokey pokey like just not hokey just hokey (laughs) hokey hokey pokey (laughs) is a dance i I just no longer speak english hokey talkie hokey poke
1: like a hokey sense like a hokey baby boomer sense of humor that is also frustrating especially in relation to supporters like yeah those are like the most frustrating that's the most frustrating like demographic to hear talk about foreign <laughs> people ever <laughs> like it's just so annoying <laughs> there's like so uh, what's all what's all this about yeah what are you doing over here like it's like oh my god
0: All right, let's move on from this clip.
1: Yeah, so this clip is a speech given by the former US ambassador to the UN, Samantha Power. Uh, She was the ambassador under Obama. And the speech is from January of this year, January 18th, 2017. It was her final major speech of of her tenure. We're gonna play the whole thing of what I found, but I'm kind of surprised if it's this short. I'll comment on it after.
7: Under President Obama's leadership, we have shown our commitment to investing in and abiding by the rules-based international order. The same cannot be said for the Russian government today. For years, we have seen Russia take one aggressive and destabilizing action after another. We saw it in March 2014 not long after mass peaceful protests in Ukraine brought to power a government that favored closer ties with Europe, when Russia dispatched its soldiers to the Ukrainian peninsula of Crimea. The little green men, as they came to be called, for Russia denied any ties to any of them, rammed through a referendum at the barrel of a gun, which Mr. Putin then used to justify his sham attempted annexation of Crimea. We saw it also in Russia's support for Bashar al-Assad's brutal war in Syria, support it maintained even as the Assad regime blocked food and medicine from reaching civilians in opposition-held areas, civilians who were so desperate that they had resorted to eating leaves. Even as photographs emerged of countless prisoners who had been tortured to death in Assad's prisons, their bodies tagged with serial numbers, even as the Assad regime repeatedly used chemical weapons to kill its own people. Russia has also used hacking to sow distrust in the democratic processes of some of our closest allies and undermine the policies of their governments. Flawed is the argument that the United States should put recent transgressions aside and announce another reset with Russia. Yes. The Obama administration tried this approach in our first term, but 2017 is not 2009. In 2009, Dmitry Medvedev was president of Russia, and we were able to find common ground on issues such as counterterrorism, arms control, and the war in Afghanistan. More important, in 2009, Russia was not occupying Crimea, fueling an ongoing conflict in eastern Ukraine. And bombing hospitals and first responders in Syria. Nor, most importantly, had Russia interfered directly in the US election.
1: The word that she's trying to say there is election. <laughs> so she exactly references the clip that we just played, yeah. the reset, yeah. right? She's, like, making it real clear, like, 2009 is not 2017. And she kind of lays out the landscape for what Cold War II is. Cold War II is a a state of tension based on the fact that the U.S. and other Western, mostly, like, NATO powers are not happy with the behavior of the Russian Federation in terms of, like, international law and and human rights, etc., so we're we're not happy and we're punishing Russia. We're in, in this state right now. Sanctions, et cetera. I think that is just a clip from it. Because I remember when I was home in January watching this, when it came out, I remember there being a part in which she says explicitly, the greatest threat to American democracy right now is Russia.
0: This reminds me, this is something that we I don't think we ever talked about on the podcast, but a few months ago, the Washington Post published... Obama's response to the Russian hacking when they first found out about it and how they didn't take direct action in terms of like investigating and announcing because they were worried it would look like they were influencing the election and how they had sort of felt that they froze and they like did the wrong thing. And then kind of in retrospect, it looks to me like rather than taking direct action on the events that had taken place, although that did happen a little bit, they instead just decided to ramp up the rhetoric.
1: They being the Democrats? Yeah, the
0: Obama administration specifically. And this being an example of that, like it was kind of this um, all out rhetoric front to just like rather than taking direct action in terms of, like, having the FBI investigate and announce or having different intelligence agencies investigate and having the Obama administration come out um, specifically and, like, name what exactly had happened in, like, kind of a concrete way. Instead, they just decided to talk about Russia in a negative way from all fronts.
1: I think the full speech is worth watching because I remember her getting into more detail of, like, the agree- grievances, the grievances... That we have against Russia, the US has against Russia. And, and again, but it's basically again, like they're
0: not invalid. I don't want to pretend like we're saying, like, oh yeah, what Russia does in Syria is like fine or whatever, or what happened in Crimea is like totally acceptable.
1: Well, I mean, but it's but the, the point is that like what I think of powers, Samantha Powers, Power, sorry, I always do that. Austin Powers, Samantha Powers, I get confused. When I watched Samantha Power speak like back then in January and watching it now. I remember thinking, OK, this is the official this is the official like party line of the Democratic Party. She's just giving
0: us like a really clear you into especially like the international party line.
1: Yeah, the international party line. Yeah, it's not so much that what she's saying is invalid. Like the, the thing she brings up specifically in this case, the war in Syria and the Ukrainian crisis, including the annexation of Crimea. But like just look at listen to her rhetoric. The party line is that the frame of. The Ukrainian Revolution and the Crimean Annexation were totally black and white, right? Like again, emotionally, it was totally black and white. There was peaceful protests, and they wanted to join Europe, which is a good place. And uh, Europe is where there's peace and prosperity and democracy. And then evil Russia sent in their little troops, and they tried to stop them from like being progressive. And then like, what's
0: the word she used?
1: They they rammed through a referendum yeah, that,
0: at gunpoint. That's very to me, to be honest, yeah. the the use of ramming is like maybe that's like a generational thing, and she doesn't have that connotation. But that felt very sexual to me when she said that.
1: Sexual and violent, and like yeah, and then and then so that's how she frames the right the whole Crimea and Ukrainian crisis. I still were that simple. I mean like so so that's the, the party line, the emotional the emotional like framing of that particular event. And but I, we did the whole episode on Crimea, and like we read all of the legal arguments and we know that it's not like clear in black. Right. And,
0: white. and and of course simplification in, in the political arena is like always a problem on every front. The the thing that I mean, obviously I kinda of already knew that. Listening to her to talk talk about Syria though is like pretty gross, like this way where she yeah. basically like details Graphically, like what's happening to civilians in Syria, which, like, you know, needs to be done or whatever. But then, does it in the context of Russia being responsible wholly for it? um Which I feel like I don't know enough about Russia's role in Syria to, like, really speak to that. But I mean, she's using, you know, Syrian suffering as a vehicle for demonizing Russia and not actually as the focus of the speech.
1: And it's just too, like, I don't know what the audience listening to her is thinking. But to me, it's just like every time a representative of the U.S. government talks about the suffering of civilians at the hands of somebody supporting another government,
0: I'm just like, what are you doing? Yeah, like, like, meanwhile, we're bombing people in in Afghanistan and Iraq as well. And Syria. We're also killing civilians in Syria. It's just, it's it's
1: hypocrisy on a level of like, such a grotesqueness that i almost want to say that it's ignorance but i know that's impossible like how can you do that like how can you say those words and and i and i would say the same like
0: you believe in in american exceptionalism
1: but like come on like obama did the same thing and like obama is like a very intelligent person and he knows that that's hypocrisy and it's just like ugh it's just gross it's gross
0: right but if you believe in american exceptionalism then you believe that the hypocrisy is Justified. Warranted. Yeah. American exceptionalism is just like the
1: concept that like we are doing more good than harm?
0: No, no. American exceptionalism refers to the specific uh, idea that America is founded not on war and bloodshed, but on a set of founding ideas and principles and that they're and american exceptionalism manifests in different ways i think the most obvious example is uh making the world safe for democracy and then now i think the newest iteration is like making the world safe from terrorism but oftentimes it's used as a an excuse for imperialism and i think it's it's also the whole idea is just like obviously ridiculous that America is not founded on violence and bloodshed, but instead on ideas.
1: Founded on ideas from like just a bunch of white guys who had some
0: ideas and who took like, ideas. Hey, I have an I, idea. From other how about white guys, we kill everybody. Is that a good
1: idea? Yeah. Or how about we just like copy what other people have already? I don't even. Know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's it's absurd but but I think that I think that if you are elected to such a high position in in the american government it makes sense to a certain extent that you do believe in american exceptionalism because you're
1: either naive or totally cynical yeah i guess so
0: and and i think of course like obama is an extremely like cerebral and intelligent person and probably made that calculation and again and again and again and was like acutely aware of the hypocrisy but like believes very much in american exceptionalism and also in this idea that ultimately america does more good for the world than it does bad and that's what i'm saying you just yeah yeah, you have to do these bad things in order to uphold american exceptionalism yeah this like more
1: in. this like yeah this like calculating like in the end what we represent is like is 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 actually worth suffering for and <laughs> worth other people suffering for
7: right or
0: even that like people must suffer in order to uphold american exceptionalism it's like this it's almost like tautological where you just like believe that American exceptionalism is the truth and therefore anything that supports it is like a okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. If we do another variety show soon, I'm going to try to find this clip because I power in this particular speech says something. She says about Russia being the greatest threat and she also says something about needing more communication with a real russia and i remember when i heard this i remember being like she's calling me to action which is funny because (laughs) yes ma'am like i didn't of course like i felt really sort of like mostly upset by her speech but then i remember also getting this like nugget of like motivation from it i'll try to find it
0: So this clip is from Chapo, episode 118, with guest Sarah Jones, who is a staff writer for New Republic.
8: Personally, I think if Russia you know, did hack the election and did take over the American government, I think that's hilarious. It's <laughs> really funny. <laughs> Honestly, imagine One like, you know. One of the greatest know, trolls of all time. Yeah, imagine like Trump like prays to an altar of, I don't know what they think, Lenin or whatever. <laughs> uh, yeah. Putin, Putin. It's pr- cute. I think, uh, in Ra- I'm a Russia expert, by the way. Uh, In Russia, in Russian Orthodox, they don't... They nominally worship God, but God is just whoever the strongest man in Russia is at the time. So it's like the rich piano of Russia. <laughs> yeah. Trump so plays I, I am also a Russia expert, and I'm also stating true facts. And uh, Felix, I'm under the impression that in Russia, instead of voting for politicians, politicians vote for you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in Russia, the parliament, there are no seats in the Duma, as it's called. That's how oh. you say it in the traditional Russian. <laughs> that means Dome. Yeah, it means uh, Earth Dome. And uh, <laughs> so they squat, they do the Slav squat. <laughs> <laughs> and every more as is traditional in Russia, it only meets on 11 a.m. on Saturday when everyone's still drunk because the Slavic brain can only operate. <laughs> on dangerous amounts of alcohol and they get naked and yell at their dads, <laughs> as is the Russian national sport. But like naked arguments.
5: Um, <laughs> I guess like like to the to the point about, you know, Russia and Donald Trump. Like I think we've established like there is something shady going on there that was almost certainly criminal if not in the doing of it than the covering up yeah. of whatever yeah. the fuck was going on. Yeah. And if it stitches up him and his administration or certainly makes him angry, I think that's hilarious. Like I saw a report the other day that he's just been telling people in the White House apropos of nothing, uh, by the way, I'm not under investigation.
4: <laughs>
8: <laughs> Ladies, I'm normal. I had nothing to do with Columbine. Like, like, like,
5: that, that to me- I don't feel no ways under investigation.
3: <laughs> 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 but, so oh, <laughs> I'm
5: I'm in favor of anything that's funny and, and and like but to me like let's say let's take let's let's pretend for a second that everything the resistance thinks about Donald Trump is correct like he stole the election you know like this is every every one of these conspiracy he has a, the agents are everywhere and in the left and the right and anyone who opposes them mm. is on the payroll mm. I just like for me like it's always. I've, I could never really care about any of this Russia shit because like to me, it's just all one big red herring. because like the pro, as I said before, the problem is the Republican Party being in power. Getting rid of Trump does nothing to solve that. Yeah. And if anything, yeah. it makes it worse. Yeah. So like I don't understand like why do you think these people are so focused on this idea that we just have to impeach Trump? and then, like you know, like are, are they, will they be, will that satisfy them? Will they, mm-hmm. like will they feel like uh, in some way sated by that?
0: Yeah, I don't I don't know. I think a lot of it is just, like, fear and desperation, which are two two reactions that I can definitely empathize with.
2: And, <laughs> yeah. You
0: know, we'll get Trump out of office, and okay, and then we'll have, like, Mike Pence, owner of Marlon Bundo the rabbit, <laughs> and, like, this will also be terrible, but at least Russia won't be, like, running the country or whatever well, it is. Well, it's I think.
8: like the joke with the never-Trump people that... Uh, they're still never Trump uh, for a variety of reasons. He's uncouth. He's, was, they thought he was going to lose the election, so they wanted to seem smart after the fact. Uh, but they actually don't object to any of this right. right-wing conservative policy. They embrace everything Paul Ryan's doing. Many of them embrace mm-hmm. the Muslim ban. Uh, and for the liberals who uh, for, tr- for whom Trump is a singularly contemptible, person who disrespects the discourse I feel like, I I mean I'm sure they have principal disagreements Mm -hmm. and are appalled by what Ryan and Trump are doing but I think if Pence were president they would say well, you know, um, I disagree with you but I respect your right to fuck us
0: it's such a good clip. Yeah, I know it's really great. I love the part where they're talking about how people slav
1: squat in the doom. Oh my life. god, that's so funny.
0: I know. Oh my god, it's I really
1: that. Funny. I know. Only at eleven a.m. on Saturdays because <laughs> the Slavic brain can only operate <laughs> on dangerous amounts of alcohol. Yeah, no, that is really brilliant. Good job,
0: guys. Good job, Chapo. All right. So do you want to introduce Posner?
1: Yeah. This next clip is from a another lecture, fairly long, that's worth watching in full. This lecture is given by Vladimir Posner. And Vladimir Posner is a really interesting figure. I need mean, to give a little background on him. Um, he was born in, I think, in France, but he also is Russian and lived in the States. So he has like yeah multiple multiple nationalities but he speaks russian importantly and in during the soviet union from 79 until like the end of the soviet union he was like the main american tv figure who was the spokesperson of the soviet union on american tv
0: he was living in america at the time though.
1: yeah and i think at one point he yeah he he did some important like exchange tv shows you know like in soviet union and in america but i do know that at that time during his soviet like again 79 on during his soviet period he was much more well known in the states than in the soviet union the interesting twist is that now he's actually like he's back in russia he's a very well very well known very well respected journalist tv figure but he now has his own talk show like where he interviews people on channel one like on the main state channel it
0: doesn't necessarily mean it's propagandistic
1: no and that's an important thing about to always know about like state tv it's not like all state tv is like shit this lecture it's called the relationship between u.s and russia all the truth is that really what it's called <laughs> <laughs> every okay. single
0: truth laid out sense. in but bullet, bullet like, point four
1: i think that's it's not what it's 28 hours long I think what that's what the rando who uploaded onto YouTube named it. In any case, it's it's an hour long, so like again, as something worth watching that we'll post a link to. But now I'm just gonna play a few minutes.
0: You are okay. Go ahead.
1: Shut up. We're gonna play. A few- yeah, <laughs> that could have been totally smooth. Like I'm okay. gonna play it. Like right. then people well, think that actually do something.
0: Out. I'll cut yeah. it out. I'll cut it out.
1: Yeah, you won't. I know you won't. I, do. I,
3: won't.
0: Of
1: course, I you won't. I could. I could cut okay. it out because I have all the control over the sound because I'm the sound master. Alright, ready?
4: Yeah, I'm fucking ready. I think it's important to understand that once upon a time many many centuries ago Russia was part of Europe and Russian princes married French princes and kings and there was this uh, There was an exchange between the peoples of of Russia and and what would now be called Western Europe but that lasted only until the Tartar invasion which began in the late 12th century, and then for 300 years, Russia was cut off from the rest of the world, completely. In fact, if there ever was a real Iron Curtain, that's when it existed. It disappeared off the face of what was then the Earth. And then 300 years later, when finally Russia liberated itself, threw off the, uh, the tartar yoke, and traders from uh, Great Britain France and so on started coming to Russia, they found a country that they completely um, could not understand. Everything was different from what they were used to. It was a a different country. Um, People looked the same, but acted differently. And that view, to a certain extent, still exists. I have a friend who says, if we look different, if far say, if we were polka dotted, or striped, or of a different color, then the West would not expect us to be the same as them. But we look exactly like them, and therefore they say, why aren't you like us? Well, it's because of a, different, a very different history. But that goes way back to those times. And ever since then, Russia has been a kind of a, a mystery, sometimes threatening, sometimes not, but never fully accepted as in the family of nations, if you will. Uh, by Europe, and later on by the United States. I think it's important to understand when you talk about Russia and the United States, two countries that have pretty much determined the 20th century, to say the least. Uh, When you look at how different the two countries really are, there are people who say, oh, the Russians and the Americans are very alike. Nothing could be less true. They're not alike at all. Think about, how America was born, born as a democracy, as a result of a war of independence, and born on the basis of certain ideals expressed in documents, such as the Declaration of Independence, and the Bill of Rights, and the Constitution, at a time when in the world uh, there was no such country. There were kings and emperors and all of that, but this was the first modern democracy. And there was also something called the American Dream, which goes back when, uh, back to back a long time. The idea being that if you were an American, if you were born here, or if you came here, you could be whoever you wanted to be, provided you tried hard enough. And then you have Russia, a country that, first of all, had its own slaves, but of its own people, not imported, not brought over from Africa, for instance, but... The people were turned into slaves, Um, and they lived as slaves until the beginning, well until 1861, when they were freed. It was a country that had never known democracy. It was a country run by the Tsars, and there was a very short period of time between approximately the 1880s and the beginning of the 20th century when Russia began to develop a market economy, began to have certain, certain elements of democracy, and that didn't last very long because of the revolution of 1917 when the Bolsheviks came to power. There is nothing in common between Russia and the United States in that sense, or between Russians and Americans. The characters are very different. The mindsets are very different. Interestingly enough, there were relations between Tsarist Russia and the United States. In fact, the first ambassador to the court of Russia was a man by the name of John Adams, who became the fourth president of the United States. And one more ambassador, Buchanan, who was the 15th president. So there were these, there was a certain relationship, not a very close one, but there was one. But after the revolution, the United States no longer recognized the legitimacy of what was then called the Soviet Union, and that lasted for a long time, until 1932, until, uh, until President Roosevelt came, but would be, was elected, and that was when the uh, Soviet Union was recognized by the United States. The relationship between the two countries was always one of suspicion, a certain tenseness, and then, of course, the Soviet system, which was a system um, basically against all kinds of, what you would call private ownership against what generally might be called capitalism, um, led to fear uh, of that country. I don't know to what extent you remember things or know th- such things as the Palmer raids of the 1920s, Sacco and Vansetti, the Red Scare, and all of that, but that was part of the reaction to the appearance of the Soviet Union. So there, this, this relationship Uh, well before the Cold War, well before the Iron Curtain, was already a very difficult one.
0: This is nitpicking, but I just want to briefly take umbrage with the fact that he kind of like, obviously there is a distinction, but he like uh, makes a distinction between the Atlantic slave trade and people and ethnic Russians enslaved in their own country as like a way kind of, of... saying like oh that creates a specific sort of trauma that wasn't present in america and i think that that's not true
1: oh but, I, what you think that he's saying that it is a specific gun kind of trauma but do you think that he's trying i don't think he's trying to compare the 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 volume of the trauma not volume the intensity of the trauma
0: i don't think he's trying to compare the intensity of the trauma but i sort of felt like the implication was like not people from outside who we already didn't view as humans but people from inside when like at the end of each of these slave institutions institutions of slavery period though. the the pe- people that were enslaved were now part of the the country in which they were enslaved
1: i can't like really remember like what the point of him saying the, his point on saying that like the people are enslaved um i think he's just trying to like make a point that like um you he, he's referring to serfdom and he's referring to a state of being in a country where you have such an intense imbalance of like you have the very 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 small like what we now refer to as like the one percent like the court and the royalty and the aristocracy what we now refer to as the one person <laughs> still exists and then you and then you don't have like really a lot of class breakdowns you just have like a large large class of like in this case serfs so people who are like tied to their owners
0: yeah no i understand he's trying to he's trying to detail like the trauma that has occurred in order to explain why russians look the same as we do but have a very different culture and experience and behavior
1: yeah like he's explaining like a power dynamic a balance of power that like didn't exist in other countries
0: but that's not true there are definitely parallel like there are parallels, but not. I, it's not the same. I, it's not the same I, power dynamic. It it is this. How is that not the same power? Like I just. I know I'm nitpicking, but the same I, power just, dynamic? I just because I just feel like he's doing this thing where he's like, oh well, you know, enslaved people in America were black and originally from Africa, and therefore the dynamic is different. It with the like supposition that black Americans aren't like fully American. That's the, like, conclusion of that logic. I know I'm nitpicking, and that was, like, a very small thing that he said, but I just, like, wanted to briefly draw attention to that because it stood out to me. It is different. How can you not say? The
1: the problem is when you start qualifying and saying that one is, like, worse, which he's not doing. But they are different. Come on. They are different. It's different to import. Like, I mean, the same thing, like, under, in other empires, foreigners were enslaved. Or the Slavic slave trade, when Slavs were imported to the Ottoman or or exported from... Russia to the Ottoman Empire, right? Like, it's different when you enslave a foreigner, especially when you can, like, recognize afterwards who was the enslaved one and who wasn't by the, like, color of their skin.
0: It is different, It is different, but it's not... I I guess my, like, sensitivity to that was that I was, like, assuming that he was saying it's worse in this case, but he wasn't actually saying that, and I shouldn't have assumed that.
1: No, and I think he was trying to make a temporal, like, also comparison or something by saying, like, let's look at the... Let's look at, like, what was happening in both countries at the same time sort of you know like a typical like oh how backwards russia is yeah i just wanted to like point out that he talks about what we've talked about which is this phenomenon of like but they they look white like and and then when he uses like his friend or whatever like the euphemism of like what if they were polka dot the question is like what if they were brown like that's the that's the question not what if they were fucking polka dots This is like a sort of very simplistic, but actually like quite important element at play in this whole anti-Russian frenzy.
0: It's sort of interesting because we view Russians as white. We provide them with a certain sort of privilege and standing. We might not to nations who are predominantly brown or black. I mean, we definitely do. I think at the same time, then it's like we are unable to evaluate them by a different paradigm than we evaluate ourselves. But I don't, I don't know. It's a, I feel like it's, that's like a really like slippery slope, complicated thing, because we can see the way that we um, interact with, quote unquote, nations of color. And that's not pretty either, you know, so. What do you mean that's not pretty? Like there's something wrong with being like, oh, they're white, therefore their culture is the same as ours, and there's also something wrong with saying like, oh, they're brown, therefore they're less human or their culture is different than ours. Like those are both problematic for different reasons.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, like the the like the concept that you would feel like camaraderie at this point, like in in international politics based on like some kind of yeah, like some kind of ra- racial, ethnic ethnic profiling is super fucked and i'm not saying like it doesn't happen on like a subconscious level obviously it happens but like that's obviously a problem either if you whether you feel camaraderie or like for don't feel camaraderie Other, yeah otherness like you have like to feel neutral across the board. I mean, it's just it's just, ridic- it's just ridiculous and like it's i but yeah i appreciate that like mini history of like w- russia pre-mongol power takeover and then post and just like you know it's a really it's a lot of years that he's covering but that dynamic is really important and also an important thing to remember is that russia is a massive country who includes non-slavs and mixes of slavic and non-slavic and asian and mongolian obviously mongolian um that's Tatar, and yeah and goes all the way over to japan so
0: russia's really big okay
1: guys yeah, it's really it's like big. really big <laughs> even bigger than the u.s which is also big and like hard to control
0: it's the biggest country in the world
1: yeah yeah
0: and at one point it was even bigger
1: yeah because it would like when it was the russian empire and even the soviet union like it just took up so much of the world
0: that's it for our variety show thank you for listening and be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at She's in Russia and sign up for our newsletter at she'sinrussia.com.